When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Special welcome to Bob Murray, Sir Bob Murray, actually. Uh, owner, former owner of Sunderland, former chairman. Beacon of light where we are today. I've been around for a tour. I've been up to the barn for the football pitches and kids all around. There's a school as well up here. And it's a testament, I suppose, to your legacy, isn't it? And here we are recording this and it's all come together nicely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's something I really wanted to do. Uh, kind of was to put something back. Um, you know, the stadium was one thing and the academy is another. But I wanted to do something equally as impressive. And I suppose... Before we really get going, um, first thing, how involved are you with the club at the moment? Well, I'm not involved that much. I mean, obviously, I'm letting them get on with it. I mean, I've got a dialogue with them and, uh, you know, Stuart's been invited to be a trustee of the foundation, which is great. And he's accepted and he's come to our first trustee meeting at the end of this month. Do you still attend games, keep a close eye, watch them from home? Well, all the time. I mean, every every inch. I get the Echo every day. I get the Journal every day. I get social media. Oh, you're on social media? Well, it, it, watch from afar. Oh, yeah, you've got to do. I mean, it, it's, my, it's been my life. You know, I came to my first game when I was nine. That's 63 years ago. So, obviously, um, you know, things move on. I was here 22 years. That's a very long time. And, uh, you know, but I care deeply about the club as much as when I was chairman. I was a bit more. Who's your current favourite player? Um, they're all emerging at the moment. <laughs> I'll uh, not answer that one, corner. That's the only question I might not answer that. <laughs> um, so you're obviously involved in the foundation. Could you tell us why the foundation was set up and what your involvement with it is now? Yeah, well, it, uh, when I came to the club, I got involved with the community. I opened the club up to everybody. Uh, that's the way I, I did it, and I'm pleased the new people are looking the same way. And, um, you know, it's the clubs to be shared, it belongs to the people. And we started to do a lot of community work, and then we've got this awesome chief executive, Leslie Spuler, who absolutely leaves me speechless. She's so good. And uh, full of admiration for her. And in the year 2000, I decided to take the charity outside the, of the club and become independent, totally independent of the club. And I think that was very astute. I haven't seen what Short's done. Uh, it was because of the change in ownership of football in the future. And we established it with the best board of trustees in Britain, the most eminent board in Britain and the most caring board in Britain. And it's grown and grown and grown. And then we had the vision for the beacon. 
And we've had to raise 20 million pounds on our own to project this facility, you know. And it's it's much needed, is is this for our people. I built this for the people, I built it for ourselves. This uh, you have to look after your own. And this is what this does. The output of this place is enormous. And uh, it's, it's it's a really special thing. But it, it all came about because uh, uh, my dad worked at Silsworth Pit as the year old and he didn't like it. And he moved to Constant Steelworks and that's where I was born. But I was born in 1946. And in that year, there was twice as many kids born. And uh, so when I got to 15, to I knew I was always going to work at Constantine Company. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was always going to work there. And uh, when I got there, there was twice as many kids that year. And I didn't do well at school. And I didn't get a job. I wasn't on the intake. I was told I'd get in the next year. So I was unemployed for a year. And that had a massive effect on my life because I felt I left my parents down. And um, it scarred me and inspired me. And I sorted myself out then. And I threw myself into education because I'm, I'm not very the brightest, but I can work hard and diligently. So um, that, that changed my life. And I've always remembered that. And the people here, all I need is a chance in life. The good people. They just need some something in life to, to get them back on track or get them ahead of the game. And, uh, and that's where this all came from, really. When did the idea for the beacon come about? I mean, at what point did you go, I want to build this for my people? Well, it, uh, it, about the same time, 2000. Um, you know, we had a vision for the... Uh, the stadium park, um, you know, we managed to attract the pool here. That was going to Northumbria University, but we hijacked that. Um, you know, that was a really big effort by us and the council uh, to bring the only Olympic pool next to the stadium site because we wanted it to be a destination site. Then, uh, um, you know, we got short to build a hotel. And obviously we had this site. I mean, the government's given us this site for a pound. I mean, it's a very valuable site, high in the riverside, prominent, in a great position. And uh, so we wanted to do it. And the fact that I put the North Stand Up extension first showed the thing that I, I wanted to do that because I wouldn't have got plant permission today to do that. It wouldn't have been physically possible to do that. So I had to put the North Stand extension on first to complete the side of the ground. So it's, it's always been in a, like a master plan and a wish list. You know, the, the city needs a good star, a four-star hotel. You know, it ticks all the right boxes, and it, it's it's fantastic. Um, so we talked a little bit about your own childhood experience and how they inspire you, but what does the foundation do, you know, in regards to them inspirations? You know, what, what was your vision for it, and is it hitting that vision? Oh, it's more than hitting it. It's a passion. I mean, we've had a soft opening, and it's been successful. We've raised um, 18.7 million. We have this 20 million pound asset, unique, the best in Britain. Uh, and we only, we only own just over the million. We're in a great position. Is it a separate entity or is it self-funding? Yeah, we have to pay our way. You know, I would really like the supporters to get more involved in it. You know, it's here for us and them. It, it's to be shared. Uh, the club are making good use of it now. There's a great relationship with the club on on working together now. Uh, very positive. 
the, the, you know, the new people get it. Well, short didn't get it, and um, they understand these things. And I've read that the, the beacon felt like unfinished business for you. Well, what do you mean by oh, just the, just you know, I've done the the stadium, and you know, it's it it, it it's a fantastic stadium, and uh, it can be extended. Uh, the academy, I work very closely with Arsenal and John Ficklin on it. Um, you know, it, it was of the best of its time. Obviously, Man City's come on and things like that now, but it still stands up there in the top five. Uh, it's it's a, a fantastic academy. And uh, and this here is unique and the best in Britain. You know, so I just wanted to do that trick, really. And final one, really, on the beacon is, what's the reaction been about from people about the beacon? I mean... I think it's a unique building. Most football clubs won't have a football charity that has a building like this. No. I certainly know my neighbours up the road don't have anything near this. So, I mean, what what do people say you know, about it? Well, you know, we get a lot of lot of leaders from different aspects of the country here. And they're all, no, I mean, it must have taken your breath away, did it, when you came? It did. Yeah, yeah, it's even the outside, the, the fact it changes. I drive past it when I go home at night, it changes oh. colours. Uh, the Leicester City the other day, it was obviously blue. It, it is... Almost an inspiring building, I suppose. Yeah, we've got something even more special coming along next year as well that you'll find out later about. <laughs> That'll take it to another level. So before we jump into the, the the juicy stuff of your time at Sunderland, I just want to know kind of what you're doing these days. Are you enjoying retirement on a beach or are you keeping yourself busy with other businesses or, you know? Yeah, I've, I've, well, I've always been kitchens all my life. That's allowed me to do what I've done. I bet you've got a good kitchen. Ah, pretty good one. There's, there's one coming here free actually soon for Jamie Oliver's kitchen. Um, one of my kitchens is coming and uh, Jamie Oliver's uh, given his name to it and we're going to start that soon, which is very good. And Jamie's coming up to open it. Um, but um, I've got a kitchen company. I've got property. I'm not bad at property. I've been involved in property. Um, you know, I'm a finance guy educationally, but I do like property. I like creating things. And um, also very privileged to be Chancellor of Leeds back at university, which is somewhere I studied at in my career at Leeds Poly, which is now Leeds Beckett. And we have 30,000 students and staff and a lot of people go there from the northeast, which is nice. And I think that's a real privilege to do that. I'm very much in education and uh, people have answered their lives. And um, of course, I, I do this as well. And obviously you've got the Bob Murray Library. Which is well, yeah. I mean, that's ironic that. I mean, um, the university kind enough to do that for me when Lord Putman was here. And it's funny because one of the things I struggled at in life was English. I, I, to become an accountant, you have to qualify in English. And I had to take English O level 12 times. Gee. And I, today Assistance. I can't really spell. I'm not a good speller. My secretary gets me out of jail. <laughs> and it's funny to have a library named after you, isn't it? You know, it's pathetic, really. But that's been me Achilles heel English. And you were raised, born and raised in a county Durham. Yeah. Um, how did that shape, you know, your life going forward? I mean, you talked a little bit about when you left school, but yeah. what about earlier than that growing up? Well, I, I, I struggled a bit actually, you know. I've, I've born in a council house, which I'm really proud of. You know, I, mean, I was an only one. Um, struggled at school. And uh you know, I, I, was, I was kicking around the streets like any kid would be, but, uh, you know, didn't have any money. I mean, I, I used to get the service bus from concert to Park Lane, and there was 26 stops. 
And I used to do that because I was half priced and I couldn't go on the excursion. Mm-hmm. In those days, there was loads of buses coming in the excursions and park up in Vedas Street and things like that because my dad brought me to my first game when I was nine. I was always going to be a Sunderland supporter. I made sure of that. Sometimes I wish he was a Man United supporter. <laughs> it wouldn't be as fun then. I, I, I tell the Arsenal, you know, I, 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 I love certain clubs and Arsenal's one of them. And I, I tell them that they were nothing about football. They've never been relegated. Yeah, no, you never know until you've been through them five that, times. Well, we've got a degree in it, mate, like, but uh, <laughs> I tell them they know nothing. They've never had that experience. In the early 80s, um, you obviously wanted to get involved in football. What were those early meetings with Tom Cowie like? Um, a well, divisive figure in someone's history. He's a what, sorry? A divisive figure. He divides opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sums Tom up, actually. Um, his widow, the Lady Cowie, has given me half a million pounds for this place, which is fantastic. And and that's that side of the Cowies. Uh, Tom... Um, what happened was there was uh, been some trouble in the boardroom and I read in the paper that it had been settled. So I wrote to Tom Cowie. Uh, I didn't know him and uh, asked if I could come and see him and see if I could help the club in some way. And uh, he said yes and he brought me to his office. He sat on a tall chair and I sat on a small chair. And uh, it, we, uh, he invited us to games and uh, if, if, if we could do done okay, he invited us in the boardroom for a drink. And then, um, and then in 84, in the summer, um, he picked the phone up and he said, uh, I, want you on the, I want you on the board and I want you to sign a bank guarantee. Uh, so I, thought, uh, I talked it over with uh, Sue and we decided to do that. That was uh, the summer of 84. So but Tom was um, very autocratic. Um, you know, he wouldn't suffer people. He had short on patience. Um, obviously, it was very difficult in the boardroom, continued troubles. And of course, Laurie came along. Uh, you know, t- Tom had Laurie. Um, and uh, he, he was always after a big name manager. He tried for Bobby Robson, uh, Brian Clough at the time. He was, he couldn't fault his ambition, um, but he, he went for that. And uh, of course, we had Laurie along then. We'll definitely talk a little bit about Laurie McMenemy in a minute. But in terms of taking charge of the club in 1986, I mean, what did you inherit? And I suppose... I also want to compare that to what Stuart Donald's inherited. I mean, what, what was the difference between you and him? You know, I think chalk and cheese really are. I mean, football wasn't as big then as it was now. It, it's just a world product now, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was in a downward spiral, wasn't it? 80s, 90s. Oh, yeah, with trouble and things like that. And decayed stadiums, you had all the na- disasters of, you know, Heysel and Bradford and Hillsborough. You know, the catch-up for, you know, a neglect lack of investment and advancement, you know, the all horrendous issues, those massive repercussions on these old run-down stadiums and way of working on and the crowd behaviour. But, I mean, I, I, you know, I came into, uh, you know, Tom had gone the distance with Laurie and he'd had enough. And he rang me and he, he said, um, you know, if you get up here within two hours with a cheque, you can have the club. Uh, it, it wasn't total control. Um, it was about less than 50%. But um, there was a, a, a very, obviously, to do what I had to do, I had to have control because it was me putting my hand in my pocket for my, myself. 
And, um, you know, there's a guy at the Echo, the chair of the Echo, Sir Richard Story, and he had a, he had the 5% of the club, the Echo, and he obviously believed in me and, and, and still does today and supported me to get the club into the right hands. And uh, he gave me 5% of the shares for a guinea. Uh, and that got me control. So I, I, I took um, I took over the uh, the ownership of the club. And uh, obviously Tom cares deeply about the city of Sunderland. Let me make that absolutely clear. He's also got a building at Sunderland University. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> but he's, he's just had a, near, a road named after him, which I think is a nice thing to do because he, he loved the city. He, he might done the odd thing wrong and whatever, but in, in, but he's well-meaning. Uh, you know, a very difficult man to work with. Very, very difficult man to work with. But, um, you know, of course, the club was three times over its overdraft, so the first thing I got, because the bank was the middle of the bank, and that's was Tom's business. Now, Tom was in cars, but what he did was he, he leased cars, so what he was doing was selling money and debt and he was buying, borrowing hundreds of millions of pounds off the bank and making good margin on it because he was lending money, really, not selling cars. He was yeah. using cars as a, not a vehicle, upon a vehicle as to, to get debt, yeah. you know? And um, so within a week, the middle and bank were on, saying um, you're three names over the limit, Mr. Murray. Uh, we're going to put the administrators in. Now, this coincided with Middlesbrough, identical. Middlesbrough actually went into receivership. Yeah. We had the same bank, the Midland Bank. So I had to get the finances organised personally to make sure the club didn't go into receivership. So, um, uh, you know, in those days, 90% of the gate was the gate money. The rest was commercial. You could suddenly got paid by the pools money for getting a draw. Mm-hmm. You know, going on the pools coup, and it was 90% was the gate money. And of course, we had Roker Park, which was love it that I did. It was run down, uh, didn't do the tailor report. And the lads used to get in a, go in the dressing room every day, and uh, they would get in the car, drive down to Cleden, where there's this pitch, an awful pitch, no trees, no, no running water, nothing there. And they would train there in the awful weather, open, and then the into the car, own cars dirty, drive back, and they'll all sit in the same bath together. And they did that five days a week, except on Saturday. You know, and that's that's all the support. There was no infrastructure then. You know, here, I mean, you know, we, we, we've got a, a fantastic stadium. You know, the crowds got out to 8,000 then. It was really difficult under lorry. You know, it was a bad time for the club. Laurie McMenemy himself, what? What was your relationship like with him and why, I suppose, did it go so bad? I mean, it should have went well. He did such a good job at Southampton, but... It... Yeah, yeah, well, he, when it, when Laurie came, he demanded to be chief managing director, you see. So Tom did that. And uh, so, therefore, I was one of his directors when I was on the board, and then mm-hmm. I became the chairman. And uh, Laurie is a big, tall lad, you know, and he's very confident and things like that. And he had achieved something, you know. You, you, the equivalent of being second in the Premiership, mm-hmm. you know, and he'd done it through by no players. Well, the first thing I worried about, uh, Laurie, was that one is package. The, the club couldn't simply afford the package that Tom had agreed. It just wasn't viable. And what's the comparable in today's money? Are you talking? Uh, 
I, I couldn't even think about it. You know, it was an enormous package. Is it like something trying to sign Paul Pogba kind of levels? That well, it, it was, it was, it was not sustainable. Yeah, it, uh, not sustainable at all. And um, you know, Laurie, uh, we had two really good fullbacks at the time: uh, Barry Venison mm-hmm. and Nick Pickering, and. Uh, they both went on to play for England and had a single screen. So Laurie bought three fullbacks. He bought um, uh, Gray and um, Alan Kennedy and um, the one from Ipswich, Nick Burley. So we, we got two great fullbacks. We bought three fullbacks. And I had a, one of the first board meetings I went to because uh, I've got some really good stories. Um, the first board meet I went, uh, it uh, said to Mr. Cowie, if you let me sign five players, um, I'll, if you let me sign Swindlehurst, Gates, Gray, Kennedy and Burley, I'll get you out of this division. And he did, he got us relegated. <laughs> he kept his word. Because there's two things should have left Southampton, you know. Laurie McMahon and me in a tight <laughs> And that's, uh, but he was very difficult to deal with. I had, I had a real trouble to get him out of the club because he just wouldn't take us out for months. And, you know, I had to pay him off personally at the end. So we had Bob Stogel as a caretaker at the club. How, how does that come about? I mean, I think that's almost something that's not really talked about, the fact that he came back. I mean, how did that come about? Do you, yeah, yeah. Did he just offer his services? Or was no, no, no. To I, it? I, I never... Um, I'd never, never met my old Bob. You know, I'd never met Bob. I presume uh, he must have been a, almost a hero, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a lovely man. And uh, I rang him up. And he lived in Carlisle. And I decided to meet him at Preston. And I went to take a trip to a town in Preston. And uh, sat down with him. And there was only the two of us. And if you look at Bob's history going back, he's always gone back to clubs. Carlisle, Blackpool, Charlton. He's always, and you can understand why, because he's such a gentleman mm-hmm. and he's got so much honesty about him and integrity. And, you know, he offered, to, he asked him to come back, he agreed, and, you know, he never talked one time about money, never mentioned one thing about money. And Bob used to get awful migraines, you know, really painful migraines. And... Uh, you know, so when when uh, when 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 he made that magnificent gesture, and he stayed at the end of the season, and we just didn't do it. Um, it was, it's no fault of his, because uh, he had that horrendous inheritance from Laurie, and he did the best that he could, and he certainly put everything into it. So I I made him come back then when Dennis came. He used to come in the boardroom, mm-hmm. and, and 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 just be part because you know he lived for football. It's like a drug, you know, and to have that. You know, and, and um, it, was, it was wonderful to meet a guy like that and to work alongside him, and a real privilege. You mentioned Dennis Smith there as well. He was brought in for the third division campaign. Um, I've actually met Dennis before, and he talks very fondly about Sunderland and his time there. So, you know, what, what was, was the high point of his career, you say? If yeah. you look back, the high point of Dennis's career was that. I mean, it was an easy decision. I mean, obviously, Bob couldn't do it um, full time at the age of his health. And uh, it was it was easy. I never knew Dennis obviously neither. We we met in the uh, in the Yorkshire Dales late at very one night secretly, <laughs> and um, you know Dennis is a very honest man and very hard working, 
And it, at York, he'd got over 100 points when they got promoted. And he'd done quite well in the league. He knew the league, which I think is very important. He knew the league. He knew what was that. And he, he's, a, he's a very uh, combative guy, very competitor. And, uh, of course, uh, he came and it was a dream and we're up by Easter. I mean, we had to very much get ourselves together. Like, we'll have to see how the summer, you know, would start again because... I had to sit down individually with 26 players at the end of the season, the season before, on a one-to-one -one basis and, and do the dirty or do what had to be done. And it was very difficult, you know, and we, we needed to bring some new players in and we couldn't get them all in that quick. So we got off to a, a bit of a, not the best of starts, but when we took off, we took off. I think it's similar to now. It's I think Mick McCarthy used the analogy of it being an oil tanker and it's going the wrong way last year and eventually when you turn it around it it goes and that feels like it's what you did and that's obviously the whole one. Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was the right decision and uh, Dennis was perfect for the club and uh, he did a great job up to that stage, yeah. And who was the, I suppose, the most important sign? I suppose people look at Marco. Is he... I paid too much for him. I paid it for him. I still tell him today. I was you with a canny pocket on him though. <laughs> well, I could have made more. Um, you know, Dennis went back to York like they all do. For the, they don't. What a signing John McPhail was. Mm -hmm. 23 and a half grand. What a signing he was. He was fantastic. And, and Marco and that, you know, and we brought in some good good players. And uh, I still see Marco at the day, but I think he's getting a bit cheeky. I was with him and Kevin Phillips recently. <laughs> and he said to Kevin, who was the best between me and you? And I don't think that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Probably have to be super careful, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I think so. <laughs> 30 Premier League goals. I think, I think so. Going to boot Europe. So, yeah, Marco is a great sign and a great club lad. So, those two promotions in three seasons must have been amazing. How do, how do they compare in your era to the, the years they are on? I mean, what there is enjoyable. Well, yeah, you know, so we, uh, I mean, Sunderland's a fantastic club, you know. Uh, with I mean, with the support we had, uh, we, I think we only had 30,000 for the game we went up at the end. I mean, turn the club around like that. Um, but obviously, you know, it was too early. The second promotion was too early in, in Essen. We weren't ready for it. We hadn't improved the, the playing squad enough. We hadn't put the infrastructure in, the scouting system, the medical, and all this wasn't up to the, what it needed to be. It was archaic. And it came a bit too quick, you know, it came by accident in a sense. I mean, we obviously wanted it. We had a good run, uh, you know, the first season. Um, we were mid-table and uh, got settled. And the next one we went for it, we had a good run. I mean, the playoff at Newcastle was perhaps a high I point. I was mention that one. Well, it was maybe one of the happiest days of my life, I think, really. Cause I'll go through that. That day, uh, beating the Mags on their own ground. Well, it was really nice because the next day it was the National Garden Festival at Gates of Dortmund. And I had to go, it's one of the jobs I do, is go around the North East. And we had to go there. Well, it couldn't have been better. It couldn't have been better. And uh, it was it was, it was, was really good because, you know, we knew Swindon were in trouble, you see. We, we knew Swindon were in trouble. So we know it wasn't just... You know, that victory got us in promotion. It didn't let us in the Wembley, it got us promotion. And we knew there was something that could be done about Swin. We didn't know what at that time. But by the time I went to Wembley, I knew what was going to be done. So, John, tell us the story of, I mean, people 
watching this might not know what was happening with Swindon. So do you want to explain what the circumstances well, were at the time? And uh, you, you have to do that. Uh, Lou Bakari, I think, was the manager at the time, anyhow. Um, I don't know. Um, but it, well, there was nothing to do with Lou, by the way. It just it, it, it had happened and it had gone out. And um, so the Football League, as it was at the time, um, took a very bad thing, which it should do. And their promotion at Wembley would be in doubt. So the situation was that uh, we got through the playoff final. Newcastle decided to make a legal opinion, an appeal, that they should go up. Because they finished third. third. Yeah. They finished third. So they said, on competition rules, they'll finish third. And we should go up. Sheffield Wednesday, who got relegated, thought they should stay up. Mm-hmm. And we, because we got the Wembley thought. So the club actually got promoted in a hotel outside of York before Wembley. Because I went there with uh, my legal advisor and we worked it out. And the president of the Football League at the time was Bill Fox, uh, the Blackburn chair, really proper football guy, you know. And uh, Bill says to me, Bob, don't you bloody lose at Wembley in a day because you'll give me so much hell, you know. He says, do not lose at Wembley because if we'd gone up, there was no decision to make. And, of course, um, we didn't turn up, you know. If we didn't turn up, it was awful. Did the players know? No. Not Dennis Smith didn't know. No, so it wasn't the Nobody case if they were thinking about what we're doing Nobody here. Nobody knew because... Yeah, I couldn't let it get out, you see. I, 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 no disrespect to anybody, but um, I had to be my own counsel. Yeah. And I knew, I knew that we'd got promoted the Thursday before Wembley. So I'm sat at Wembley, and it's not going well, and I don't feel anything. I'm sat there thinking I'm going up. And, you know, we went out, and we went down the same road the Swindon lads went down, and they're all up and down and tooting mm. horns. And I'm thinking, are we going to Wonderland? You're not going to be very happy. Because uh, you know, the league had to make, go through a, a procedure that they couldn't get. So how do you, you get the lads in the change room? Do, but at what point do they know? No, do they know no, the no, no, I rang Dennis. I came to someone on Monday. I said, there's going to be an announcement made. And it's going to be good for us. I, I drove someone on Monday. And uh, and that, that was it. But we weren't ready for it, you know, we... I think we went to Norwich the first game, got me 3 2. I mean, we weren't, the club wasn't ready for it. We weren't ready at any front, commercially, financially, physically. You know, we just weren't, weren't there. And of course, we came back down. Mm. What were the circumstances around Dennis leaving the club in 1991? Well, we sold Marco and we brought in Don Goodman and, and uh, you know, we. And other players as well. You know, Dennis reinvested the money in a number of players. And uh, so, was that a decision you and him made to sell Marco to yeah, well, improve Mar- the squad? Marco got a hat trick in London, and uh, lads at Palace had seen this and had come in for him. And it was Marco's decision. You know, we didn't need the money. You know, Marco at the time he's in there. Um, you know, we've got him in England B cap. Uh, you know, he's a really nice guy, family guy, very intelligent and, uh, you know, couldn't speak highly enough of Marco. And um, he, uh, he he decided he wanted the opportunity because he's, he's got a new wife and he wants to get on with life. So he decided to go to London. 
and that you know, but um, you know, you know, that was that was that. But what what Dennis did then it wasn't good, and uh, I think we were at the bottom of the league by New Year, and uh, we, we seemed to lost us a bit. I mean, had a few very successful years, and that so you decided to let that go. And then one of the quirks of football happens, you know, that one of the Roy the Rovers things happened. So. Um, we, the, the, the sort of things take off a bit. You reached the cup final, 92 as a second division to the side um, and lost Liverpool, but what are your memories of that day? I mean, that would well, be... well, I think the whole thing was funny. It, you know, the team in the league were rubbish and the team in the cup were good. So, Don was cup tied and, um, you know, Don's a good lad. So he can't play in the cup games, our best player, our dearest player, shall I say, and we lose in the league. Yeah, we take him out of the team and we win in the cup. So well, how do you stack that one up? But anyhow, obviously Don, Don like, the team weren't doing, doing well in the league. I remember one game I was there and I think it was Watford or something like that. And he'd done it taking a penalty at the full end and he, and he, he missed it. And the whole of the full end looked up at me and shouted Murray out. So quite obviously, I'm not very good at penalties. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, we had the situation. I mean, we weren't safe until two weeks before the cup final. I think we'd got a draw at Blackburn or something. That night, I don't know. Anyhow, we, we, we weren't safe. And so here I am with the caretaker manager, you know, and... Nice lad that Malcolm is. Malcolm isn't a manager of a club like mm-hmm. Sunderland. And I know that. And I'm, I'm having to make him the manager. You know, I had to make him, I couldn't let him go to Wembley and not be the manager. So what was the, the day like at Wembley? Well, it was, uh, you know, I, I got the job of looking after the dignitary, so I, I had to do my work the night before and everything. Um, we did it right and style and professional. Uh, as you would expect this club to do it. And uh, I always remember that uh, the only one person who spoke to me after the game was John Major, who came over and gave us some commiseration and wrote me a letter later. But it was, um, you know, the winner takes all at Wembley. Mm-hmm. You know, the winner takes 99% and that's it really. You know, if, it's, if you go there and lose, it's not good. I want to jump into the Peter Reid era, which is probably the the... The most interesting of your time at Sunderland, certainly the time many ups and obviously a major down as well. Yeah. Um, but can you give us an idea of where the club was at when he was appointed? Well, you know, like I started the stadium, you say, to look for a stadium because I knew it was no good at Rooker Park, you know. The, the, the club had no future there at all. It was a non decision. And it's, obviously, you don't get stadiums on the top shelf of BQ. <laughs> and I started to put a lot of effort into that. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of trouble attracting managers to Roger Park because of the, the infrastructure, the medical, the stadium, the money. You know, it wasn't that that asked, like, Steve Cobble to come, you know, and, and uh, people like that. And the journey looked at it, and, uh, but uh, I couldn't attract a good manager, not, not a blue-chip manager. I mean, you could get anybody to come here and, and within range, you know, you'd get a top guy here. Um, I don't know why so many of them have not worked out recently. I think it's quite unbelievable. And 
But that one of the things about having built the stadium right and the academy, you won't find a manager who won't say good things about yeah, the, yeah. What, everyone who comes in once you've looked around the facility. I've got no excuse for being successful. I've got a great club, fantastic support, great facilities, great infrastructure. They all say that, but we can't win a game on a Saturday. So we were struggling, and, and really, it, uh, you know what? You know when you're in the game, really it, uh, had a, a real big fallout with Peter Swales at Man City, massive fallout. You know Peter. Peter would uh, very headstrong if he believed in something. I hear he occasionally fell out with a few people. Yeah, <laughs> and he, 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 did, he did, and uh, uh, you know, very headstrong. You know, and he he he'd left Man City in a, in a bit of a cloud to say the least and uh, obviously some chairmen don't like to have a manager that's very combative you know if there's enough up and downs in football mm-hmm. without having somebody that's um, like uh, uh, confrontational you don't need it and anyhow so um, we were in trouble and uh, they had decided on Peter and uh, one of the directors went and uh, did the deal with Peter and he came and he did a fantastic job. I heard Paul Hedrington yeah, uh, had a big role in that. And he's somebody actually who's going to be coming on the podcast, but I was interested to get your take on that. Paul was a top lad. You know, I, I, had, I got very close to some of the press lads because I thought, yeah, I need these guys. Not to write things about me, but to help my club. Yeah. You know, to, to they, they've got a relationship with players, managers. They've all, you know, more managers got favourite press guys and things like that. And Paul was with Pete, and Paul's a fantastic lad. He's one of the best guys I've met in football or not in the in media, and he did all the groundwork for that. Yeah, that's right. He's and just retired, actually. Has he? Yeah, he just retired. Um, I saw there's um with with Pete. You see, he came in. I remember one day we'd be Crystal Palace one day. One that I couldn't believe about the people. They had the whole game. I mean, what a what a job he did! It was absolutely fantastic. How important was it that we stayed up that year? And what what would have changed if we fell into the third? Would have been back where I started, wouldn't I? Wouldn't I? I mean, there'd been... be any coming back for you? I'd I'd stayed at Sunderland. You know, people ask me, you know, twenty years, two years on the board. I mean, the two years were volatile to say the least. With Laurie and Tom, you know, I mean, it was horrendous. That uh, was me and Dukshi, you know, how I would cut my teeth on football with Laurie McGregor. And, uh, you know, they the say to me, would you do it all again? And I say, I'd bite your hand off. I've got no regrets. I've given 20 years of my life to this club. I've got no regrets at all. I've not enjoyed every minute, but I'd do it all again. So where do you think we would be then if we didn't stay up that year? We would have got promotion next year. Yeah. That's what we'd have done. And then start again to keep going. Peter's credit for staying up. Peter's credit for that. You know. So obviously we stayed up that year. Next year, Reed took up in 96. Uh, Premier Passions was that year as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But when Eddie stayed up the following season, how was that campaign and were you worried about the state of the club with relegation since we were building the stadium? I wasn't. I found it, found it ironic. That was typical Sunderland. We had more points that year than anybody else. More points than I think we had 40 points and went down. You know, it was ridiculous. And uh, the worst game was Wimbledon away, where, you know, I'd been out with Salmon Man, 
the night before uh, for dinner with him and his wife and my wife. And, it, you know, I, I just thought they weren't going to be at it. We but uh, we just, the, the lads just didn't, the nerves got to them. There was definitely the nerves. Lots of silly games that year as well at all. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, uh, uh, it was good points. I remember Tony Adams getting sent off and things like that. But, uh, no, that, uh, it, it, you know, Peter fought and uh, we just didn't have enough. But I wasn't worried about the stadium. So I know how big this club is. Mm-hmm. I know that. What, you know, I'd say probably get averaging 15,000. We had, we, that season before, we sold out two, two games at 23,000 capacity. Mm-hmm. One was against that team six miles away and the other from uh, Man United. We didn't sell out against Liverpool or things like that, the Arsenal. We said 23,000 and I'm, I'm building a 42,000 seater. And I've got plans to take this at 49, by the way. I'm still working on that at the same mm-hmm. time. And uh, so there's no doubt about that. You know, the new stadium effect, fantastic. But, it, you know, the facilities and the whole thing and the experience of going to the game, I was not worried about that, Connor, at all. That was not a worry. I'm going to talk a little bit about the stadium uh, properly in a minute, but I, I sort of want to touch back on uh, sort of that time period and... Could we have stayed at Roker Park? What would have happened no, if you sure. couldn't have built it here? No, we were going down. If It had to become all-seater, right? And the capacity at Roker Park, all-seated, as it stood then, would have been 14,000. It's not in here. Well, it, it's not. It's, and where do you go from that? It's decaying. You know, it's a 99-year-old one knocked it down. You know, I, I, I didn't look to knock the ground down. It wasn't, my dad took me when I was nine and the game was against the Wolves in the 50s and they were the top team. And you didn't think this little lad, a nine-year-old, was going to knock his ground down, did he, my dad? But uh, anyhow, that uh, it had to come down. It was a no-brainer. When moved to the stadium in 1997, obviously you must have felt a range of emotions, but what was the first game against Ajax like? I know we... Nearly didn't have the ground open. Is that a true that's story? That's true. It's not as bad as Spurs today. Like I don't know no, what, what's true. going on at Spurs. For six months behind. Aren't I it? just can't believe what that is. But I mean, you know, we we took the ground, and as you know, we dug down. It's much bigger on the inside than the outside. Mm-hmm. That was a brilliant decision because we don't need all that steelwork, all that infrastructure. It's just concrete pads, and um, so that, that was a really big saving. And a I, lot of clubs do that now as well. Don't yeah, they? I wonder why. And um, so we, we did that. And um, obviously we set a, a very tight timetable to, to, because lots of new stadiums are coming out of the ground. And we we, uh, we decided that most of them are wraparound. I didn't want a wraparound stadium like, uh, you know, Bolton and Stoke and all that stuff. I wanted a proper stadium, you know, just a statement for the city. And um, it was a tight time sale. But I remember John Fickler, he's a great guy, John Fickler. And he... Um, the last just before the kickoff, he's getting bloody tarmac down, and some of them were tarmac the gates up so they couldn't open the turnstile, and they got the ticket in wrong. So I went to the box to see the game, and somebody sat in my seat. <laughs> they put all the rows one out in the stand on a ticketing glitch. No, just said, they say, say I, I remember what happened with regards to the, the, no, the, the consultants, they mistook the first row, which is disabled and miscounted by a rule. So they'd all done this and we didn't know about it mm-hmm. until I went out and tried to get my seat. And there was one of the punters in the, one of the lads, you know, in my seat, it wasn't a corporate seat. 
it come from the tier below and got moved to the front row of the upper tier. <laughs> oh, he thought, you'd he, have he, been, thought, he, thought yeah. he had a good seat. He thought <laughs> he had a good seat, but he wanted Ajax, you know, and he wanted a you know, proper club. The time. Ajax were a big club at the time. And I wanted some of that. The other thing was um, the people that built our stadium also built the Ajax stadium. So I'd gone to Ajax to learn from that and spent some time in Amsterdam. The Amsterdam mm-hmm. Marina was built by the mm-hmm. same construction company that built the stadium alight. You had status quo yep. doing the pitch. How, how, did, how do you raise that? You used to actually have uh, music before every game. I remember did, yeah. yeah. For a good while. I mean, yeah. why status quo? Was that a It wasn't a conscious that I liked decision? Them. <laughs> it wasn't that I liked them. It, just, it was just a, a sort of mass group that was big name and... It was it was it was good. It was a good choice, I think. I think you know, you know, Leslie Callaghan came up with the um, the song. You know, the Prokofiev. You know, we had Prokofiev. Dance of the night. But you know, but uh, I thought we wanted something like I the Tiger, like Leeds played that. It was really nasty. Uh-huh. And I thought something like that. But Leslie Callaghan, she put a couple of songs in front of us to consider and we chose for coffee that was a good decision as well wasn't it because yeah it's still played it, now in it fitting I mean, yeah uh, people, people just copied that uh, West Ham particularly was yeah. one that I remember copying it but you also had ready to go as well I mean yeah. them sort of decisions they might seem minor but for me growing up them songs still mean a hell of a lot to yeah, me yeah I mean uh, I think that was a good choice yeah I mean, there's a lot of good things happened at the same time yeah. simultaneously it was just I think it was almost I mean the way it worked, it just fitted everything that happened to the club at the time was when we played Dance of the Nights, there was fear from the opposition. It certainly felt like that we could be anybody on that given day. And I think the music, the before games, the atmosphere there, they all just was a giant oh, you know, juggernaut. The name of the stadium, the, uh-huh, crest, all, the whole thing. It's just, they all just came together. They're all very well thought out and carefully and considered. You know, good board, good board of directors and how did you build the stadium for just 23 million? I mean, people talk about that now. I think the extension actually costs nearly as much as the stadium itself, but you know. Well, the extension was about 7 million. Uh, it took it up to about 29 million, that's 49,000 seats. Yeah. How, how did you get it so, such a good price? Is that your meticulous, you know, going through things yourself or? Yeah, well, the, the whole board did. I mean, we, we'd, uh, we'd gone, we wanted to have British Steel, for instance. For instance, uh, you know, um, you know, steel. They built the stadium right. I wanted it to be British steel, so we went to the steel company in in Teesside, and uh, we got the steel at half price because they wanted to promote British steel, and they used the stadium light, and we went to Ipstock, the brick people, and we got bricks for next to nothing, and that's what we did. And um, you know, we we built it very professionally, and. Um, we knew what we wanted before we started, so there's no extras. And uh, we did a really good job on it. Did you come in on the budget? Not, what was the... Yeah, we bit, bit a couple of million over. But, uh, you know, it, it was well thought out, you know. Uh, the board had thought about everything early on, so they, they fully considered it. You know, we, uh, we, you know we, we were working with the Arsenal at the time a lot. You know, they, they learned a lot from us operationally and things like that. And we learned, we, we copied a lot of their academy and uh, and they copied, you know, our things. Do you have any regrets with the stadium? Is there anything you wish you'd done differently? If you're being um, critical, there must be one thing that you wish you could change. I wish I'd put silver taps rather than gold taps. 
<laughs> I was going to mention that actually. Bet you people ask about the tax. Last uh, fortune, yeah. But no, I've got no regrets about anything really. I think it's, I think it's, it's the people that fill it that I like. I've heard that Sunderland have funded the stadium light and the academy light differently to our, you know, local rivals. How how was it differently funded? Uh, well, um, you know, I, I come to Sunderland to give something back. I didn't come to take anything out. You know, I, 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 I can honestly say that. Um, when we went on the stock exchange, uh, which was the right thing to do. Is that 99? Yeah. We, uh, we, it, I, I was a dominant shareholder. So what we decided to do was issue new shares to the new shareholders at a very good price. And all that money came into the club, didn't go into my pocket. So I, I got ownership down from like nearly 90% down to 55%. And I give away a lot of ownership. But the club got the money, and that's the money that built the stadium in the main. I put some money into it, but... Um, and, and the Football Foundation put a couple of million in, but that's where it predominantly come from. When the media deal came across with Sky and people like that, uh, we very much wanted to be a Sky media club. And um, at, at Newcastle, they went with NTL. And what the, they did up there, which I think is totally wrong, they sold their own shares to NTL. The, the price for the shares were awesome. It was a, a ridiculous price. It was false price. And they took those, those privileged prices and put them in their own pockets. But when we did it, we did it with Sky and we issued new shares again. And that was the money that played for the Academy Light in the main. You know? And that, that, that's, it was totally different. I couldn't think of two different clubs, actually, than, uh, than up, up there and down here sometimes. And not the people, but I mean, the, the way it's run. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not the way we've done things. Were you concerned, we talked a little bit about this before, but were you concerned that you would have an empty stadium in those early years? I mean, no. the average crowds no. were nowhere near 42 and then it, it no. goes up. No, no way. Well, why are you so confident? I don't know them. I don't know them, they love football. They love this town. This, this club, I still think that they're unique. It's got that much love in it. It's unbelievable, despite... It's like what they've been through with short. I mean, I, I feel scarred by short. You're telling me, me too. I feel, I feel deeply scarred. My family feels deeply scarred. I feel really hurt. If you said somebody take that great club and get it relegated, it's impossible. It's impossible to take this club into the league at that. The third tier. It's impossible. Yeah. It's a, it, it, you, if you if you took that asset, this support and that basis you know. what what did people say it's like you? a death wish you sell a keeper for 30 odd million and you spend one month yeah it's a death wish I said to Martin Bain last November for F's sake will you get a keeper in here at the window he did he got the account yep <laughs> that went well <laughs> that went well you know you, you couldn't you couldn't write the script could you no you could see as you well couldn't, you couldn't see it as a, as a, I mean, did you go to any games last season? Yeah, I did, yeah. You could see at the stadium anyway, just the players were not fit to play at that ground. I mean, not all of them. There's a lot of them that, you know, were okay, catamore, etc. Let's be honest, they shouldn't be at the club. Some of those players should not be at this football club. Reed, go back to Peter Reed. took us up in 1999 with 105 points. And that year, 
we would just be steamrolling everyone. I think Barnsley were the only human people at the state line. Um Just how good was that campaign and what's your fondest memory of it? Well, we'd had the unique playoff, hadn't we? Was, nobody could have a playoff like that. Yeah, 4-4. If nobody could have that. Like, the Southern lad doing the business for them. Yeah, so, and uh, the number of penalties and all that sort of thing. But we got promoted that day, actually, for the next year because uh, Niall sorted some of the lads out, which had a, a fatherly word, but I decided I wasn't going to let anybody leave the club. At the Charlton game, we had lots of Premier League players on that team. Lots of Premier League players playing in that team. And, um, you know, to have like Michael Bridges as the reserve forward and all this sort of thing. You know, we... Um, we, I've just the one. The, the, I think I've, I've done a few good things, but one of them was to keep that team together. And I was determined to keep that team together, and we used to go to games and no one going to win. I felt like Man United. I really honestly felt like Man United. What was your favourite thing about that team from a fan perspective? Oh, just so enjoyable the whole thing. You know, there's uh, some special lads there. Uh, great atmosphere. Total and total enjoyment, you know, about camaraderie and things like that. You see, um, when Sue and I got involved in Southern originally, we knew all the players. We knew if they were married, where they went on holiday, we'd buy them engagement presents, we'd buy them christening presents. We, we were a family, you know, and that was very much like this team. You know, there's no animosity, nobody put themselves above anybody else. It was all for one. And that, that was a great year. Did you, when we got Kevin Phillips from Watford, when you spoke to really, you know, in the years past, you just been like, what a wonderful deal that was. I mean, is it Peter Reid that deserves credit for that or does somebody else deserve no, no, credit? No, no, Kevin had come to play against us on the midweek game for Watford and he caught the eye and he was going to go to the Ipswich, you say, and he chose us. I mean, I'm still close to Kevin today. I was with him, him and his wife a couple of weeks ago. And that's what we were, you see. To have the golden boot of Europe. It's Sunderland. I mean, that's got to be the biggest achievement ever. To play for Sunderland and get the golden boot. Yeah. It's hard enough to play for Barcelona and get it. You know, but to play for Sunderland and get it, no, he's deserved, wasn't it? It's what time? It was deserved. It what? Well, definitely. That whole yeah, everything he was touching uh, was. Yeah, so you know, Kevin kept Kevin quite a long time. I kept Niall here for nine years. You know, we got his career back on track because he had a horrendous injury. We'll have to. A lot of uh, people would have kicked him out. Use your contact to get Kevin Phillips in on here at the Beacon. Sure, <laughs> well, he's one of our ambassadors at the Beacon. Well, there we are. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, I want to talk about the night nine two thousand season. Now, I want to throw an idea at you that you've maybe thought about, but not too much. When you watch Leicester win the Premier League in twenty sixteen, do you ever think? That could have been us in 99 2000. Yeah, where the, the stars aligned there. Vardy was our Phillips. One of my biggest disappointments in my time was that season when we finished seventh. At New Year, we were second. And we got cheated by a referee, a bad decision. So like the Man United, Andy Cole. We got, we got cheated at Christmas, it was West Ham or something. Or we would have gone top, if I remember right. And no team has been second at Christmas and not gone into Europe. Yet we managed it. And I was really upset about that. I, I think that's something that I really wanted to do, is to get someone in Europe. And I, I've, 
And of course, I, I had the same thing, you know, with um, with Millwall. That's another bad experience at, at Old Trafford because with Man United, if we'd beaten Millwall and got in the final and lost the final, we'd still gone to Europe. Yeah. You know, so I've got major disappointments. Like what about the, in the total cup? He's made the decision about into that. Why? This is Mickey Mouse Cup, is it? But you could have gotten to Europe if you. Ah, oh, that's a long shot. It's, players need the right preparation for the season. They don't need these these miscellaneous things. You look at the look at the club in the last couple of years. How badly they've been prepared mm-hmm. for the start of the season. It's you know not the season, but you know I mean they've had all the hell on to get a team together this season from the regs that were left last season. Yeah. You know, so um, you know you have to have good preparation. We so first day of the season ninety nine two thousand get hammered off Chelsea. What, what do you what are you thinking that day? What other do you think you'd be all right? Be fine. How important was the Watford game? I think on the Tuesday night. That's right. You know Peter, Peter. Um, you know he, he, let, he let himself down very badly at the end. You know we had a, a lot of success for five years or something. You know, I mean I supported him to the hilt. You know, I'd have to go to Yarm every two weeks and get drunk with them. <laughs> it was a very difficult job, that one. <laughs> you know, but thankfully it was only during the season, it wasn't during the summer. You get some time off to rest. I get uh, recuperation, <laughs> like the players. What about other results that year? I mean, there was obviously the win against the Mags. I mean, that must rank up there in your favourite. Yep, yep. First derby at the Stave Light. Yep. How was that? Yep. We need to do that. Yeah? Yeah, I can do that. But uh, you know, we we uh, we had good results in Newcastle as well. So during our end of time, you know, but uh, we the two seasons were fantastic. Yeah. The following campaign, obviously two thousand two thousand and one, we sort of I don't want to say we reinvented ourselves. We didn't, but we added some players. Don Hutchinson being probably the most important one. What did you make uh, of the team that year? Stephen Schwartz, night nine two thousand. What a player! Yeah, Steve Ball. What a man! What a player! What about the actually the, the Stefan Schwartz contract? You talk about that the, the space contract. Well, Stefan Stefan's a really intelligent guy, you know, and what a what a what a player, intelligent player. How we had some good players at this club, you know, some good people and good players. How you did know, the, Steve Ball? What a what a man, a colossus, what an ability. You know, I had to get David go to David Dent and get him here, and um, you know I just wish he'd. He'd been a bit younger, you know, because we're what an eloquent man, intelligent, great player. How did the I want to talk about Stephen Schwartz's contract now? Okay, well, there's the space clause in there. Yeah, yeah. How did that come about? Is that a decision you make in the boardroom? You know, we think Stephen Schwartz is going to go to space. Well, he can if he wants for me. <laughs> you know, he can if he wants. You know, just Stephen just uh, is is different than me. I mean, I I found him. Uh, for instance, he yeah, couldn't understand people not having food and being short of money. He couldn't understand that. So I caught him. He used to fill his car, go to the supermarket, fill his car up with food and drive somewhere and give it to people. You that's, know? That's something that I didn't think about. That. You know, that's, that's what was going on at our club, you see. You know, this club is held in the highest regard in football. It was never in trouble. Not like Bird and this bloody thing that we've had recently, you know, with, that would never happen in my time. 
never happened. The club was held on the highest extreme in British football. It was the supporters were. The whole club was held in the height. Some and do things right to go about the right way. You know, the, the sports is totally respected. The people loved coming to Sunderland. They loved the day at Sunderland coming clubs. I want to do some quick fire transfers. So, first one, Robbie Keane. Um, never, never, never on the board. This press comment, agent talk, all that sort of thing. That was never. Was it true that there was an email sent out to say we'd signed him? No. No? All fictitious stuff. Ibrahimovic? Fictitious. Again, nothing. Uh, I want to talk about Milton Nunes. Um, so for our younger audience who probably don't know Milton Nunes, he was signed, I think, 1999. I think he made his debut against Wimbledon, actually. Yeah, he scored which was my goal. first game. Yeah, it's a, I, I think this is where the end of Peter's coming, you know, because we, 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 um, we had this great bond and togetherness. And then Peter started to lose the dressing room. We had trouble with Mike Summerby, but we didn't. We had trouble with Peter in reality. We had trouble with uh, one of the full-backs as well. Uh, Megan. Megan, Chris. And Megan. Alan Johnston as well. Yeah, yeah, we did not need this. And this is where Peter uh, has got to look at himself. Uh, we've got three very good club men. Uh, you know, excellent players. And uh, we have issues. And we don't have issues. Um, and it was not managed right. And this is the start of the end, you see. And of course, Niall's come to the end of his career as well, which is an added, added issue because it's not just him on the pitch, it's off the pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I, I, I take the lads to, um, with the wives to the races. It's my guest and before the season, it's, it's the traditional thing. And we'd sign this lad, Lalandis, from Old World Door for five million. It's a lot of money, five million in those days, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a bit of drink and Sacco gets drunk a bit. And he, you know, he's a very honest guy, Bob. You know, I love him to bits. Uh, proper football man. And uh, he says, Bob, he says, Chairman, he says, Does Anders can't play. I'm like, he can't play. He played five million pounds. I think he played like two games or something. You know, it's not just that. He's like on four weeks before he has contract. Loads of money and nobody else wants them. Mm-hmm. And this start that was where we start to lose the traction room. We're bringing them players and a lot of money, a lot of money, a bit different to what's in the dressing room already. And it creates that's where it's gone. I begged him not to send Nunes, but he says, I need him, Chair. He says, I need him. Well, um, Adrian Heath had been the same. He wasn't high enough to, to shop at Asta. He couldn't get anything off the shelves. It was tiny little art. Uh, obviously, he doesn't speak any English, and he's from South America, and, you know, not Brazil. And it, uh, it was just such the wrong decision to do. That, 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 that went on and on and on. Do you think? You know, we had uh, Fred Guard, the winger. Carson Fred Guard, yeah. I mean, they're all bad silences. Pete's, he's Pete's really naughty because he's been saying that I spent money on ground nuts. That's not true. I, I signed Torres Andre Flo, and I paid £9 million for him. Right. And he says, I need him. You know, because you know, we'd had a good start of the season. I think we're going to Leeds as well. And, and that, but 
Um, he said, look, it's a deadline, I need him. So I went back and said, his attitude was horrendous. He did not want to be here. He did, him and his wife, he was absolutely horrendous. So I signed him from the Rangers. Sir David Murray is a friend of mine. Not related? No, no, not related. Yeah. I was going to think he was there. He's reserved his second strips, red and white. Have you seen that kind of time? Mm-hmm. He likes Sunderland. And, uh, you know, it's all turned to strip as red and white a few times. And maybe he's been very good. So I said, dear, I can't believe that you sold me for nine million quid. I said, why did you do that to me? He says, Bob, I paid 13. <laughs> you know, so anyhow, all these signs coming out. So we've got Toronto dressing room, we've got Niall moving out of the thing and his presence off the field and on the field. And uh, we have all this going on. And it's not good, and that's that's what happened. That's what people are wrong. Um, you know, I wouldn't say Chris Nagan and uh, you know the, the, the winger, both wingers. I mean, next no problem. You know, just people in the day now, and that's I think it's really sad that we lost lost. And that's that's where we went wrong. There's no doubt about it. I'll put my life to that. Ida Johnson, any room? No, no. Gaza, no, no. Gaza went to Borough. And he stayed to see him. Schools? Yes. No way. No way. No. Collar? No. No, she stopped ringing him. These are all just... Mickey Mouse. Paper talks. All paper talk. Agent talk. Um, I also wanted to... I was meant to bring it up before, actually, the Premier Passions. Um, something's got a documentary coming out soon as well. But how, how was Premier Passions for you? Did you like it? Did you... Yeah, I did. Uh, Leslie Callaghan came up with the idea. She'd... Um, you know, she was uh, trying to grow the brand. You know, you know, someone's sometimes people's favourite second team. It's people have got an affinity to someone. Mm-hmm. They identify it with you know uh, the type of support we've got and how vocal and passionate we are and understand football. You know, we're not like prawn sandwiches, if you want to And uh, so, someone very popular club. Nobody says I hate someone upset somebody a little while away, but um, you know, it's a very much like club. And we're trying to grow the brand and do things and came up with this idea and it, we, we, we embraced it and actually managed it very well. The Academy of Light opened March 2003. Mm-hmm. Was that unfortunate that the club were on a downward at that time? I mean, how, how did it feel that you were getting this amazing facility but you were actually going down yeah, into the track? Ironic, just like Bolton Stadium and we've gone down the league. Yeah, it was ironic, but it's a 100-year asset. You know, it's always going to be there. You know, it's paid for. It's a great one. It's, you know, we, we bought a dairy farm and added to the field we ended up there to come up with it. You know, we did all the embankments and stopped the wind and planted the trees. And the academy's beautifully designed to keep the press separate from the players and the youngsters at one end, the adults at the other, have central facilities in the middle. It's a spectacular how did the, the plan for that go? Was it as meticulous as the stadium? Yeah, more so. John Fickman was very hands-on about it. We had a great builder, the same builder that's built the beat the light. Yeah, very good. And what was your, I suppose your vision for the facility is obvious, you know, it's the academy, but do you sometimes wonder why we haven't quite produced as many players? And we have produced quite a lot of them, but did you look at it as well, a factory? I, I, left, I left this club with two young boys down there. And they were both in the World Cup. Two Jones. Yeah. 
there were, when I walked out of here, there was two very young boys down there. And one is going to be particularly the, the best keeper that we've had for 40, 50 years and the star of the World Cup. And we have, you know, an England captain, a, a Liverpool captain, and a, a, a young man, Jordan Henderson, who knows how to conduct himself and is a great ambassador for the city. How upset are you that they aren't here? Oh, good. So I think of some, them two players in particular, I know from people I've spoke to, that neither wanted to leave. No, they didn't. That must... But they can't, I can't blame them for one second. I think they've done the right thing. That would be because of money or the career because there's nothing here to keep them. If Ned Quinn had been on the team and Peter Reid was the manager and we were all as one, they would stayed. But that didn't happen. The chairman people have done who the manager is. It's revolving doors. The chairman doesn't come to the games. He doesn't talk to the players. He doesn't treat the players right. He doesn't buy them presents for the... It doesn't meet the wives. It just, it, it, this is a football club. It has to have affinity. You know, go down the road and see a proper chairman. Go and see Steve Gibson. I was going to say Mike Ashley there. Alice Short makes Mike Ashley look good. Do you think? It did. I don't think I know. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Ellis Short later on, but I want to go through the sort of the 2002 to 2003. What what do you think changed? I mean, you, you touched on what changes in the yeah, silence. That's the, cult- the answer. Was that the culture of the club changed? It changed, yeah. It stopped being what it was good at. Do you think you could have been more ruthless in getting rid of Peter maybe a little bit earlier? No. Peter wanted to go. He wanted to go. So on would you have kept him? We'd had a... We, you know, it, obviously it's very unpleasant. You've got the players down there, you've got some of the old ones, you've got the new ones in, you've got the new ones in who don't really want to be here, they're here for the money, you know, like Flo and that, you know, the, the whole thing, he just he went to Newcastle and had a bad day and Pete definitely wanted to go. So if you go back, you brought in Howard Wilkinson, that obviously didn't work. That was like suicide. Is that your big, one of your biggest mistakes? It certainly is the biggest. Um you see, I'd watched Howard when he was at Leeds and he won what was the Premiership yeah. was the last year of the Football League. And he won that, not with a great team. Uh, Vinnie Jones was playing and Strachan. And he won that. And he, but to win the Premier League, you must have something, wasn't you? Mm-hmm. And then he became England technical guy. And he looked after the England team a little bit from time to time. Yeah. You would think he had the credentials. So, here I was faced with a dressing room that's not happy and not a lot of control and discipline, right? Because Pete would be the sort of guy, uh, we won the day, let's go out and get pissed. And we lost the day, let's go out and get pissed, <laughs> you know? And um, it, it, that's not, the, the, I apologise to Pete if I'm being disrespectful, but it, it's not like the professional business thing. And I thought we needed a sort of, the um, disciplinarian Howard. That's what I thought, and I got it absolutely 100% wrong. When did you know you got it wrong? In about a month, I think. So did you grit your teeth to stick with it and just hope it changed? You know, know, he he didn't really get his hands up, did he? I was surprised at that. Anyhow, you know, I... uh, it was a massive mistake. 
as I thought for that reason, I thought the club needed that sort of person. Somebody to achieve something in the game, somebody to look up who was a disciplinarian. And, that, and I thought that, you know, I'd got it totally, totally wrong. And uh, it, was, it was quite obvious it wasn't going to work. Do you wish you'd, you'd had Mick in at that point? No, no, not really, because, you know, I think, uh, I think that, you know, I thought I'd, t- I'd taken the decision, I stood by it for a while. It was very hard at the end because uh, he kicked off Big Style and he's the only guy that actually doesn't speak to me. Well, go. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which, to be truthful, I'm quite happy about. But if we're at a big function, national or something like that, and he's there, he won't, uh, which, it, which is fine, you know. I can understand him being that way a bit, but he's, he doesn't speak. Did you still have the ambition and stomach to remain here after yeah, that relegation? Or did you no, need a couple of weeks reflection even? No, 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 I'm for the summer, you know. I mean, in my 10 years, my lowest I finished, something that broke apart, something stayed in life. In the 10 years, in my last 10 years, the lowest I finished was third in the championship. And that was with Mick. And we lost in the playoffs against Crystal Palace. That was the lowest point I did in, in 10 years. So people, when they look at my record, need to look at it in perspective because at Roker Park, I was trying to build a football club, uh, rebuild a football club, uh, both physically in, in numbers and in stadium. But that's that's my record. We were close to going into administration at that point. We were in this, we were in the nursery unit at the bank. Barclays were tremendous because we we invested all this money with the team. Uh, you know, floor and everything, and we've gone down. And we had players weren't worth anything, and we got the bit, the wages. So I've always been, you know, I'm a pretty big Labour guy, and I've always been close to Gordon Taylor. And uh, Gordon's been up here to see the Beacon recently as well. He got come up to all the way from Manchester. He said that much about it, he just wanted to see it. And, you know, he's a good guy. And uh, I went to the players' union, I went to Gordon and said, Gordon, I've got a major problem. I said, I can't play the lads. So um, they decided to um, pay, the, we, we agreed we'd pay the lads 50% of the money. And we're in the nursery at the bank. Uh, but, uh, the, the, the lads were fabulous. You know, they all accepted it. They all signed up. Yes, that's okay. As long as we get it later, we'll be all right. And that, that was going on. We never made it public. You, you refinanced a lot of the debt. So I remember reading in the program, I can't remember what game it was, you had a section where you talked about the fact you'd secured the club. It must be about 2004. Mm-hmm. How, how important was that to the future and, and what Nile was able to get a few years down the line? Well, it was, um, you know, <coughs> we'd, we'd, we'd sort the debt out. You know, we, we all worked on it hard. Uh, you know, and um, you know, we got the debt down. I mean, when the club passed denial, we've got two massive assets and no debt hardly at all, minuscule debt. We turned the club totally around. It was very, you know, dead easy to do. You know, that. It, what, uh, what was the process then? From I'm presuming you're in your worst position, two thousand three, the summer, to when you left it in two thousand six. How in three years do you turn it around? Well, we. You see, what we didn't have in those days was, was the, 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 the debt. The players kept the same wages. They didn't drop down when we dropped down. That wasn't around at that time. But it soon came in straight away after that. 
we, we introduced a, a new contract, but um, we, we had to deal with it. You know, we had a lot of players and massive money, massive money, and we just worked it through. So, you know, we, we, as we moved on, we got them off the bill. And it was just managed, managed it through, but really difficult. How does it feel losing a player like Kevin, you know, for basically, not nothing, but nothing compared to what you'd been offered previously? And what was the highest offer you received for him? In well, I think, uh, well, Spurs were always chasing them, you know. You'd be going in with the team on a Saturday morning and uh, you'd pick the paper up and, and the back page of the tabloids would be Kevin's off to Man United and next week Kevin's off to Spurs, you know. And that's on match day. It's very unsettling, you know. You know, Kevin loved his time at Sunderland and, uh, you know. Did he ever want to, to leave or was it just the last year? No, we kept them together, you see. This is what you've got to understand. You have to treat players right. It's no good. Sign them, put them in, in the hole. You have to look at them like human beings, manage them like any sensible relationship you have. You know, Kevin was a great ambassador, a great player for this club and wanted to be at Sunderland. Even though he's from Watford and he came in the game late, he hadn't made any money before he came to Sunderland. You know, he's got like three or four kids and he wanted to be at Sunderland. What was your relationship like with uh, Mick McCarthy? You brought him in at the end of the yeah. 2002-03 season. He surely must be one of your favourites because he, with a very small budget, put us yeah. back in the Premier League. And yeah. What was your relationship like with him and how much do you rate him as a manager? Well, Mick, that's one of these guys like Bob Stoke where he always gets jobs, you see. They always get a job. You know, he's, he's, got, he's got a great managerial record. These these people know how to run a football club. He's very honest and very hard working. Um, you know, they're, they're measured and that's why they get jobs all the time. You know, Peter left here and had a nightmare. Peter went to Leeds and they went both. It wasn't his fault. He went to Coventry, he went to Boston. Yeah, he didn't do well, did he? And he went to Plymouth. So what made Peter Reid? Was it Bob Murray? Was it Sunderland? Or was it Peter Reid? Because that's the only window with Peter. You see, Dennis, Dennis's high point was at Sunderland. Dennis never did anything on the scale of that. But Dennis managed a team for a thousand games mm-hmm. because he'd always get a chance, you see, because he's good and honest. But Dennis can't manage in the Premiership. It's beyond them. And Mick is a perfect championship manager. You think he was made for the championship. He won't like me saying that, but his record tells me that. Mm-hmm. But he'll get his thousand games, you see. How, what were your conversations like with Mick when you were bringing him in? They were very straightforward. You know, it's very, it's just see what you get at. I think, if, you know, he's it, it, very good. If he's got an Achilles heel, right? It's he's old fashioned. He's very much um, in the Dennis Smith era, you know, the combative centre half, you know, come out and have a fight, you know, like that's the sort of thing. I, I didn't understand. We had this big bloody, I don't know, carrying weight, but this guy used to come on at half time. He used to keep the players on at half time to train them. Did you remember that? I remember, yeah. I didn't get that. I couldn't get that. The lads. Being played first, I'll stay on the pitch to warm up and I didn't get that. That, that sort of thing is all fucking to me, you know. Mm-hmm. 
but Mick's, uh, Mick's got a record that speaks for itself, shall I put that way? In 2005, promoted back to the Premier League, so that's your third third Premier League football, well, top division promotion. Um, did you expect to get promoted that year? Yeah. Is that like, you know, is that we the, didn't have the money for it? Because I remember, yeah, we came up, we had, we went up with what, Liam Lawrence, uh, Steve Whitehead, Danny yeah. Collins. We spent, we spent about, well, it made about a bad goalkeeper as well. The, the, the players you did. And we got rid of Mark Poom as well. I mean, how, how does that conversation go? I mean, you get rid of a keeper who's proven and you brought in Calvin who wasn't and it didn't work. Or Calvin, I'll get told off for saying that wrong, actually. People always pick on the way I say well, that. It, 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 we didn't have the resource to support me financially, that's the truth. Mm. That was it. it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's a legacy of everything else. And, you know, I, I was I was trying to find a, you know, looking to, to find somebody to come in the club as well because we, we went to America and um, we looked at people in, in the sport that ran business right, you know, I wanted to leave the legacy in the right hands. I wanted to, you know, I was getting on here 2005, it was my 19th year. Mm-hmm. And uh, going down wasn't an issue, you know. How does it feel for your record though that you had them two 19 and 15 point relegations? I mean, do they hurt? Because I think they're the things that people, if they're going to criticise Bob Murray, Nobody will ever criticise the state or the academy, but they will no, say no, but it, the 15 it, it, and 19 you go, you points. go back to Peter Reid. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you have to go back. That it, it, Pete lost the dressing room. I said this earlier. That's where the problem started and it wasn't corrected. Because in football, when things are bad, the ignores get worse. So you look at it, it stems. That's the stem of it. How hard was the 2005-06 campaign? Because we weren't, ever hammered really there was a few bad defeats in there but it just seemed we didn't have enough quality but everything that could go wrong did I mean how well, hard we was that sh- for you? We were short we were short I knew that I take responsibility for that mm-hmm. because it goes back to the earlier time you know Terrace and before would have cost us 25 million quid a couple of games and one goal that's the cost of it yeah you know you sold the club 2006 um to Niall Quinn and Drummerville, how, how did that deal come about? What was the process? Well, we, we, we were looking at people and Niall came on the phone. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect for Niall, you know, and um, I find him charismatic. And, uh, and that, you know, he's a good guy, you know, I've got his testimonial for him and everything like that. And uh, he came on the phone and he says, I'd like to invest a million pounds. I said, no, they don't want to do that. He says, oh, you want to buy the club. That's what you should do. So he thought, thought oh, OK. And so he went away and got an Irish consortium. Now, my whole point of view, I sold the club for next to nothing. A friend of mine just sold West Brom for 180 million. I sold this club for 10 million and I got 5 million. There's nothing like what I've put in this club. But I'm not here for that. So I want to leave my legacy in the right hands. So I couldn't think anybody better than Malcolm. Like, he's been here nine years. He knows the patch. He loves living in the northeast. Uh, I like his wife. Uh, you know, I like, like I like the whole thing. Then I can go and leave here. Not like Hall and Shepherd up there who give it to this joker. Mm-hmm. They're two, like 200 million off the cities. And, and the... You know, and they've taken all the money. You know, like you couldn't write it, could you? You know, but I didn't bring Ray Ashley into my club. I brought Niall Cunningham in my club. 
So I vet all these Irish. Now, there's the Irish core, the jungle out like the box of monkeys. There'd be eight in the consortium one minute, ten the next, and six the next. And the names would change. And I had to meet each one because I'm not going to sell the club to somebody who has a questionable Irish past or something. Mm-hmm. You know, but I haven't put 20 years on to get it in the bin like it has last year. Yeah. And therefore, that's what I did. You know, and I'm thankful I passed it on the Nile. It's a shame he didn't, didn't stay long. That's you, the issue. Were you surprised that he left as quick? Well, disappointed. Um, Did you see him as a 20-year? Well, I didn't see why not. Do you know, like, he's, he, it's not like, oh, I don't like someone living in someone, like some people say. Mm-hmm. He's bloody lived here, yeah? Knows the club from inside out, seen me build a stadium, knows the fans, mm-hmm. held in the highest regard, rightly so. You know, wh- why wouldn't he stay? How and do it, you do you feel that he was the one that brought Ellis into the club? Does well, that? There's two things now I'll, I'll never forgive him for. He brought Max Burns in, then he brought Ellis Short in. And uh, and I'll never forgive now for that. Did you your relationship with Ellis Short at the start? Did you have a relationship with him from well, the beginning? Well, yeah, I want him to succeed, don't I? You know, like um, did you meet him? Yeah, I met him. Uh, you know, I think I went to Portsmouth game or something and met him. Yeah, and oh, sat down with him. Then I put him on the trustees. Yeah, I, I invite him to be a trustee of the, of the foundation. You know, I like the chairman of the club to be on the uh what Neil Neil was on the foundation here. Um but when he went he resigned immediately, which I don't think he should have done. It's because it's not sorry? It's interesting that he resigned. He didn't resigned from the foundation because he's a very generous guy now and means well and cares about people, you know. And it, when he took over the club, I made him trustee and he was very supportive of Leslie's Buell and that, you know, and all that. And then, but when he when he went, he went he went from here. He just says, "I'm resigning." Just roll down Nile now. I'm resigning. So that must have been his relationship with that. It's not that one of the Well, I don't know, but it, it, t- to me, that we're independent here, the club, mm-hmm. and we've got the same challenges every day of the week, whether you're chairman or not chairman. So that uh, Niall, Niall did that. How proud are you of your legacy? And I sort of want to, one of the things that sort of cemented that to me was when I was talking to Stuart Donald um, and Charlie when they took over the club and they were saying, you know, we get a club that's got one of the best stadiums in the country, probably top five academy as well, if not top two. Um, they're getting a solid support base and all them sort of things stem from you know, you can see the difference from before you took over to after. They're all the things that you did. And Ellis Short and the people after you haven't really added to that. The, the well, sort of that Short's been destroying it, but um, actively and purposely, I believe. I mean, we, we were getting 49,000 when, when, when the two Kevins, because don't forget Kevin Ball. He's my captain, you know. Mark Kilbad. He's just, you know, he's, uh, there were, you know, we got 49,000. I had to bring the lads in here for pre-match at 12 o'clock. We couldn't get through the crowd. Mm-hmm. It was impossible. You know, I got 29,000 for reserve game. I remember. I yeah. was there. You know, it says, uh, you know, we, we played um, Liverpool in the um, 
Centenary Cup. We were the champions of the Football League in Liverpool. And I think we were champions of the football. Anyhow, we qualified to play each other in the Centenary game here. And Julio was the manager and a lovely guy. And we played Liverpool reserves here and got 30,000 or something, the same season or something. And we played them and we only got 20 odd thousand. So he came up to me in the boardroom. He says, the crowd's lower than the reserve team, he says. He says, they obviously like reserve team football. And with a smile on his face. But who would have got 29,000 for reserve game? No, it's unheard of. Unheard of, isn't it? And do you think the world of football looked up at that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, people say I did good on the ground there, but I also built a club, you know. I built a club of guys trying to destroy I built a football club that got 49,000 people. And and we used to sell out every week. I remember the early days under Peter Reid where... Yeah. Sell out every week. What do you think Ellis Short did then? What do you think... What would your major criticism of him be? Well, yeah, we got a week. <laughs> you know, you know... Um, do you think it was the fact that he, he brought the wrong people in, trusted the wrong people, spent his money in the wrong... I mean, because he did... He, he spent I mean, money. how many times? Who would give the Canio a job like that? No, that's true. Who would appoint the Canio and not ring me and say, what do you think, Bob? Who would, he'd never rang, ask me for one. I, I don't mind that, you know, but who would put the Canio in charge of football? No. Who, who can get... Who, who can say, Martin, Neil's no good? How is he no good? How is, how is all these people no good? How many names on Steve Bruce? He's a bit like Mick. He's got a job for life. He always gets a club, Stevie. Mm-hmm. How is he no good? How is all these people no good? Coleman, how is he no good? There's everybody in the army that's out of step with him. This mm-hmm. guy, this guy Shaw, is the most unchristian man I've met in my life. Dawson Christian. I've seen him. Right, and he happens to have all the shout at my football club. But at least he doesn't now. No, thank you. What do you think about the way he left it then? He left it. Well, he's, he's gone and taken, I would think. I don't I think he's taken the goalkeeper money. I think he's taken the parachute money. I think he's taken the parachute money again. And I think he's seen a way out. And I think these lads have taken a risk coming in. Um, and I think he's taken money off the table. He's seen money, be it their money or be it parachute money, he's taken as a way out. Do you think, what's your views on the new owners? I want to I see what well, you think. Well, I don't think. know them that well, but you know, they open up and, you know, have a conversation and, you know, keep in touch with Tony and, uh, you know, I, I want them to succeed, you see. I've got nothing here, you know, I'm the life president of the club, but I, I've got nothing that I would love them to be. So I've been to South Tony yesterday, I said to Tony, the same thing I'd do for you, just pick the phone up. Whatever it is, I'll mm-hmm. do it. You know, because I want, I want you to succeed. Would you have ever got involved if the club was on its knees no. and short, couldn't, you know, and he was like, I've right, done my thing. thing, I've done my thing. You think you'd never get... I'd, I'd do anything for us. But I, I couldn't run it. You couldn't go back in? I know way. I'd have my time. I'd do it all again, if somebody said in 1981. But I've done my bit. You know, I've, I've done a bit. Have you ever thought about writing a book? 
Yeah, I am right in the book, actually. You are right in the book. Ah, I wonder who I heard that from. <laughs> well, uh, Rob, Rob Mason, the club historian, trying it. And uh, very excited about it, actually. It's uh, it's going to be a big book. It's going to have lots of uh, interesting, unique stories in it. The final thing I really want to talk to you about, Bob, is uh, Wembley Stadium. The Euro... Do you want to tell us what your involvement was with Wembley Stadium? Yeah, well, obviously, um, it happened with the Labour government and Tony Blair. Um, it was about 2000, the bids 2006. Um, England. I remember seeing all the stuff at the ground Yeah, you know, uh, the World Cup 2006 yeah, yeah. bid. Yeah, and uh, Wembley slipping a bit. The whole bid centred on a new Wembley, and you don't get them pretty easy. You're not... I think Wembley is the best stadium in the world, by the way, any sport. But, uh, and that, it was slipping. And the government were really concerned about missing the bid, you know, because obviously they have to perform at the stadium there. And it takes so long to build a stadium, you can't shorten it. You know, mm -hmm. you, there's no quick way. You've got to build it up and then put the, this, this Mickey Mouse roof on. And um, it was, you know, it's a very corporate stadium and things like that. So um, I got a call from a guy called Sir Patrick Carter, Lord Carter, Lord Carter. And uh, he'd been given the job of sorting Wembley out. So I, I, I worked with him for a year because they wanted somebody in the game who knew about stadiums, who knew about what um, you know Ken Bates was doing or Doug Ellis or whoever was in charge of the stadium at the time because it wasn't happening. There was slippage of time. So they decided to set the board up to build Wembley. And I was, I'd was i done a year already, and then I was put on the board. I was imposed on the board by the government. And uh, I stayed a year. And during that year, um, we let the contract and raised the money. And then I left because I wanted to concentrate on someone. So I, I didn't want to build the stadium. I, I'd done the funding and I'd mm -hmm. done the build-up. And I left them to it. And so I, I don't know whether Wembley would have happened if I hadn't got involved or not. I don't know. I quite uh, get the credit for Wembley when it's gone wrong. And uh, But it, it was a great thing to do. How do you feel about the talk of them selling it? Do you think that's, that's a... I mean, I know they've said that that's probably not going to happen. Do you think that's a bad I mean, idea? I don't, my, why would it happen in the first place? You don't sell your home. You know, like, um, you know, like we built a great um, stage at the stadium and we've great, great academy to produce the actors for the stage, haven't we? Mm -hmm. And we've done that with England. I built Wembley and got it into a reality. And I did it at St George's, you know, um, you know, the, the two go hand in hand. Why would you sell your home for? You're gonna you're not gonna change the home. You're not gonna start to play rugby or something. Mm -hmm. Your game's football, that's where football is, it's the home of football. It's always gonna be there, it's always gonna be needed. Why would you change it? I don't understand that, but then again, I don't know enough to comment on it, to be truthful. I don't know what, why, you know, why rent a place when you can own it. The managing, the funded already, and the debt's going down. It's not, it's a, it's not a financial storm, you know? So I don't get that. So St George's Park, you're involved, uh, England's training ground. Uh, what actually is your role with them? Well, I came out of the club in 06, and I got a call from... Um, uh, the FA, and I was told to go to the House of Lords um, for to meet somebody. They said they've got a job for me, so I went to see Lord Treesman and Sir Dave Richards, 
and said uh, we want you to build St George's Park for us, which uh, is the home of English football now. And I was uh, the project director. I was the only person on the board, not from the FA. And obviously I've got building experience and things like that. So I've spent six years building it and I'm really pleased and proud of it. I think it's a fantastic facility. And it's starting to show the benefits now with the England team. They've for the first time got a permanent home with Leeds Edge Medical and you know, the facilities. I mean, the pitch there that the lads train on is identical shape to Wembley. It's got the same sunlight, same sun in there. It's got the same grass, the same mound. It's got everything. You know, that's the meticulous of St George's Park. It's a special place. And, that, and it's starting to make me look at the success of the England younger teams now. And I, you know, it's, we've got a great stage, of, and now we've got a fantastic facility there. There's 26 England teams training there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. We got there late. Is it so ironic enough, the guy I succeeded from was Howard Wilkinson, who started, the, it spent uh, 2000 to start to do it. I mean, St. Burton on Trent, it's 300 acres. And it was the ancestral home of the Bruin family. And uh, he started to do it, spent 20 million. And I was called in, I put what he did in the bin because he got it in the wrong place and it was the wrong facilities. And um, it's, it's, everybody should go and see it. It's a really special place and it works. Did you model it on the academy? Do you take ideas? It's on a different scale. We've got a, like a 200 bed hotel. Oh, the medical is it's leading edge, world's leading edge. You know, it, it's professional to a T. You know, it, it, it is the best in the world. The final thing, really, I want to talk about before we we'll sign off. Um, Stabilite's at 49,000 at the minute. Top tier currently isn't open because there isn't quite the demand. Do you see a day? Uh, in your life where there'll be 66, I think it is, at the map. Well, maybe it's not in my life, but somebody will come along and own this club. I, I watch Man City very close, um, and um, I watch what they're doing in the city as well, and uh, and how the clubs run and everything. And, and an owner like that's very keen will come to summer, because we, we've got something to offer, we've got potential. They can easily have a 66,000-seat stadium. Mm-hmm. All you do, we've got permission for 55. Uh, all you do is take the roof off, build it up like the North Stand, and you're away. There's little disruption, little cost, mm-hmm. and it's possible to have a 66,000. And that's the way I left the land. That's why it's designed that way, and that's why I put the North Stand on first. And uh, that can happen. That must be protected at all cost. So whatever they do around the stadium... It must be monitored to not impose, like they did at Roker Park, and put a, you know, Roker Park was built in fields and then put a houses right next door to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we mustn't do that uh, in Gretchen again. So that needs protected. And, uh, you know, I've had a meeting yesterday with the leader of the council and the chief like that, and they've got it on their radar. They're very much aware because this is a master plan for Stadium Park, which is the right thing to do. I, I support development, but it's got to be the right development. It hasn't mm-hmm. curtail the capacity of the club. That the legacy needs protected, you know. And I think we're pretty much done here. So, Bob, I want to thank you for coming on and doing this. Obviously, it's been wonderful to be shown around this facility as well. And we've um, been plenty of kids about playing basketball and tennis and God knows what else. And I also want to, I think, from Sunderland fans, thank you for 
giving us the stadium, giving us the academy and giving us a football club uh, to be proud of. I mean, even when we've had the dark days of Ellis Short, the one thing we've been able to talk, claim is the fact we've still got a beautiful stadium, albeit with pink seats. But a beautiful stadium that now has nice red and white seats. Um, you've got an academy, we've got facilities that are able to attract you know, players and managers still to come to this football club. So I think irrespective of what, any, what anybody thinks about you and your time, I don't think anybody could ever take away what you've left Sunderland, the city, and Sunderland, the football club. So I want to thank you for that. I also want to thank you for coming on and giving me two hours of your time. Um, and I really appreciate you, you talking to Robert Report. No, thank you. Okay. Been an honour. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.